You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of 1 John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. As we seek to finish this off this morning, um, I want to make a reference to something I hardly ever talk about, but there's a scene in Princess Bride where the protagonist is having a sword fight um, with a, a villain who's really not a villain, long story short. And as they're fighting, it looks like the, the enemy he's fighting is certainly doomed. They both start this sword fight left-handedly, and as he's about to um, finish him off, the guy that's struggling is smiling. He says, um, why are you smiling? He said, because I know something that you do not know. And what he knew was he wasn't left-handed, he was right-handed. And so the, the, the scene changes. Now he's winning. The protagonist now is at the, the precipice of a cliff, and he is smiling. The guy says, why are you smiling? He said, because I also know something you do not know. I am also not left-handed. And it changed everything, and he wins the game. Listen to me. The, the idea of knowing something is powerful. And, and not just knowing in my head that I know something, but in my deepest core that I know that I know. Because when I know like that, and it's in me, it changes everything. And John, the disciple of love, as he closes this book, reminds believers this morning that you know something. We know something. And what we know, when this is assimilated into our very being, will change the outcome of everything. It will change our situations, our attitudes, how we face life, and how we deal with everything around us. And so let's get into the text this morning. Verse number 18 John says, we know, speaking to believers, that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. The first thing that we know this morning is this, that patterns in our life for the believer have been broken. They have been broken. John says, whoever is born of God does not sin. And you might sit here and think, really? Is that the case? That's not been my experience. That sounds strange to us. Has John just forgotten what he wrote just in verse number 16 about a brother who's sinning a sin? Or in 17 where he says, all unrighteousness or wrongdoing is sin? Has John become senile in that short distance? And the answer is no. We have been here before. Earlier in this book, he said the same thing. And when he says, we know that those who are born of God do not sin, the sin word there is in the present continuous tense. John is saying about believers, we know that now that we've been born again, we do not continue in sin. It is not the trajectory of our life. It is not the pattern of our life because we are born of God. He's not talking this morning about perfection for the believer. It does not exist. What he's talking about this morning is a pursuit of purity. Listen to 1 John chapter 3. He says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, we will see him someday. We will be like him. We will be glorified. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, herself, 
even as he is pure. John is reminding us that we are born of God. We do not continue in sin. That pattern has been broken. It does not matter this morning how you feel. The Word of God says, if we're born of God, that pattern has been broken. Let's look again at verse 18, because it gets a little difficult here. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. So whoever is born of God does not sin. He's speaking clearly about believers there. But then he says this, But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, there's a lot going on in this verse, and, and you don't see it maybe at first glance. But the fact of the matter is, that first statement about whoever is born of God is clearly speaking about believers. And some people translate this, like the whole verse is speaking about believers, when it says, who has been born of God keeps himself. But just so that you know, that phrase, has been born of God, literally is, was born of God. And and where it says himself, the word literally is he or him. And so there are two thoughts here. Either John is talking to believers and he says, hey, who has ever born of God, does not sin, and he keeps himself and the wicked one cannot touch him, or he is saying, whoever's born of God, right, they're saved, but he who was born of God, the one who came in the flesh to be victorious over death, hell, and the grave, he keeps, guards, protects him, his own. Now listen to me. It would be very strange for John to say to believers, you know that you keep yourself. You know that you guard yourself. You know that Satan cannot touch you. That would be contrary to everything that we see from his theology, and not only him, but every disciple. And so I believe what John is saying here is this, that the one who keeps us, those who are born of God, the one who was born, who came for us, he is the one who keeps, who guards, who protects his own. Listen to these verses. John 17, 12. Jesus speaking. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, the Father. Those whom you gave me, I kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. 1 Peter 1.5, you are kept by the power of God. Look at Jude chapter 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. I believe what John is saying here is this, that the one who saved us does keep us, guards us, protects us, so that the wicked one cannot touch cannot lay hold on, cannot seize, or cannot clutch his people. So in light of this truth, John is saying in verse 18, we are born of God. Believer, we have a new identity. We have a new family. Uh, The Bible commentator Campbell says this about this verse. It is a matter of allegiance. Those born of God now belong to his family. No longer do they identify with the patterns of sin. Believer, if you're born again, you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Therefore, you are part of a new family. And in this new family, these children do not identify. They're not held sway to these patterns of sin. We are born of God and we will be brought safely to glory. This truly is hammer time. You can't touch this. The fact of the matter is, some of you are old enough, okay? Some of you aren't. It doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is, 
It is Jesus Christ who holds his people saved. They cannot be touched by the wicked one. He will start and finish what he completed in your life. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, child of God, you cost Christ too much for him to forget you. He has not lost you. He will not lose you. And he will bring you safely home someday. This is bedrock and foundational to our Christian faith. Stay with me for a minute. We talked about this in the past, but Bunyan, um, the great Puritan, was always preaching about love. And as he spoke about love, some folks were concerned and said, John, you've got to quit telling people that God loves them because if they really believe that, what will happen is that they will do whatever they want to do. And Bunyan said, no. If I tell them how much God loves them and they get it, Like, you get it. That the one who spoke eternity into existence loves you. He's for you. And so much so that the Son came and died a horrific death and the wrath of God poured out on his head for our sin, paying a debt he did not owe because we had a debt we could not pay. And when you understand the fact that this God loves you that much, I no longer want to do what I want to do. I love him because he loved me first, and now I want to live a life that pleases him. Right? It's the same truth here with the idea of security. We are born of God. We have a new identity. We have a new security. And that security is not a license to sin. On the contrary, it's support to subdue the flesh and practice holy living. You have a new family, a new future, and it is fixed. And if I can understand this, that he who began this work will carry me all the way home. The evil one cannot touch me. It will impact my present sanctification and my practice. Brother and sister in Christ, what John is saying here to you who are born of God and that Christ himself guards you, You no longer have to scratch that itch of sin. You don't have to respond in anger anymore. You don't have to take that drink. You don't have to watch that filth. You don't have to be unkind and unloving and cruel anymore. No matter what the past was, no matter what you experienced, now because we are born into a new family and our security is firm and set in Jesus Christ, I do not have to live like that anymore. The patterns have been broken, and we need to know that this morning. Brother and sister, do you know that? And not just, yeah, it says it. No, that we know this. The patterns have been broken. Number two, verse number 19. We know that we are of God. And again, I love how John does this. John doesn't deal with gray areas. The contrasts are black and white, and how we need today Black and white. For John, there is life, there is death. There's truth, there's lies. There is one family of God and everybody else. It's real simple. And this thought that we are part of this family ought to purify us. Why? Because this family, we were taken out of the clutches of Satan, you'll see in a moment, and placed in God's family. And when we understand the reason that Christ came in John chapter 3 was to destroy the works of the devil. He starts that in our life when we're redeemed 
and he continues to do that as we walk this life out. He's come to destroy that work. He starts within us. O church of the firstborn, are we actively working in conjunction with Christ for his kingdom? We are of God. It should purify us. But now listen to this. We know this truth, and because of that, we should pity those in bondage. He continues in verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You read that, and I read that, and I don't think we comprehend how terrifying that statement is. That the whole world, outside of God's people, is under the sway, the control of the wicked one. This is where they find themselves. And and my brother and sister, listen to me. Um, We see evidence evidence of this every day in our lives. That image bearers of God are being abused and murdered and raped and killed, caught in addictions and bondage over and over again. They lie under the sway of the wicked one. And we should pity them this morning because I once was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life was leading me to the grave. And I couldn't see it. I couldn't understand it. I did not know it. Why? I was blinded to that. And when I look at this verse and understand, I have been snatched out of that by the grace of God. I am now part of his family. I am his own. He will safely bring me home. I love and adore him. Therefore, I cannot stand in self-righteousness about those who were exactly where I was. We must have pity for those who are under the sway of the evil one. So instead of being constantly angry, at your lost loved ones who have no idea, or your neighbors, or your coworkers, or your politicians. Can we understand that they're under the sway of a maniacal despot who hates them and only seeks their eternal destruction? The patterns have been broken, but we ought to pity those who are in bondage. And that pity is not, the pity is not Winning a moral argument on Facebook. Let's just say you actually turn someone to another opinion, which I doubt hardly ever happens. But let's say it happens, and now you make someone moral. So what? Now you have a moral person who dies and goes to hell for all eternity. The pity of those who are blinded, the answer for that is simple. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that rescues and redeems and delivers the broken and in bondage. It is the only hope and we have it and we possess it and it must be proclaimed by all of us. By all of us. The gospel can rescue, the gospel can save, the gospel can deliver. It first crushes us. The good news at first crushes us. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against the God of heaven, and I do it hourly in my life. I deserve separation forever. But then this gospel leads us to the answer, which is Christ. So, 
we should pity those in bondage. And number three this morning, verse number 20. And we know, this is the third time now, that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I love how John says this is the true God and eternal life. And it's kind of ambiguous. It's like, well, well, who are you talking about? Are you talking about the Father or the Son? And I think the answer is yes. I, I think it's yes. It's amazing to see monotheistic first century Jews, how easy they interchange Jesus with Jehovah. There's a reason for that. We serve a triune God. And so he says, he is the one who is truth. He is the true God and eternal life. My friend this morning, listen to me. There is absolute truth in this world. And it's found in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He has given us understanding. This morning, believer, we have the spirit of truth compared to the spirit of error. And listen, as the church of Jesus Christ, we don't have to listen to the propaganda that's being crammed down our throats. We don't have to hear things and just imbibe things that are obviously wrong, immoral, and evil. No matter how loud people shout, no matter what they say, no matter how they try to convince us that what's abnormal and obscene is good, calling evil good and good evil. We don't have to fall prey to that. Why? Because we have the truth. And the truth sets us free. And the truth is in a person this morning. It's Jesus Christ. And we know. We know that we know. We know this morning that Christ is alive and well. We know this morning that history is his story. We know this morning that you and I were created for a purpose and a plan. We know our identity. We know who we are. And we know that human flourishing comes by following God and his plan. Believer, don't live by lies. You need not. We have the truth. And in light of that, when it gets dark in our world and your life, don't doubt in the dark what you know is right in the truth and in the light. We know. We know that the power of truth has delivered us from blindness. And so this morning, as we bring this to a close, there's power in knowing. But not just, yeah, I know, but really knowing this. The patterns have been broken. We pity those in bondage. There's power of truth that delivers from blindness. Oh, and by the way, verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Is that weird? Yeah, mic drop. What? What? What are you, John, what are you talking? This seems so random. At the end of his book, we're following along. Everything's making sense. And at the very end, he says, oh, and by the way, keep yourself from idols. And, and we say, that's random. But I would submit to you, it is not random. Because the entire book, John is saying, there is truth 
It is Jesus Christ, and anything outside of that is not true, is not right, is not God, is an idol. It's okay, okay, that's fine, I'll buy that. But this, keeping yourself from idols, is relevant for us. We're in the 21st century. When's the last time you took an idol and bowed down to Zeus or Mercury? We don't do that. That is so archaic. We certainly wouldn't bow down to idols, would we? No, no, not 21st century. John says I'm very interested. Not John, but Peter. No, Paul. I'll give him Peter, Paul, Mary. I got him. Peter. No, Paul. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he gives a list of sins. And in that list, he says um, covetousness, which is idolatry. There are some idols that we see, our homes, our car, our stuff, what we pursue, pursue, what we run after, what we want to try to grab hold of, relationships. It goes on and on. But covetousness is interesting because when it starts, you don't see it. Do you know why? It's a matter of the heart. Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And what idolatry is when you boil it down is this. I am trusting something other than the God of heaven for my comfort, my peace, my rest, my enjoyment, my life. This thing that I'm pursuing somehow, some way, will ultimately satisfy me and give me everything I could ever imagine. So much so that we're willing to sin against God to obtain it and get our goal, and we're willing to sin when, it, when I don't get what I wanted. Some of us have these idols in our hearts of order, control, rest, comfort, pleasure. And if you get in my way, the only thing I can do then is war. Why, do, why is there fighting among us, James says? Right? Because of the lust that we have, our idol has been knocked down. And so John says to the first century believer, and he says to the 21st century believer, hey, by the way, keep yourself from idols. Because no matter what your idol is, it will never give you what you promise. You will be chasing the wind for your entire life. And when you think you have it, it will not give you what it promised. I think it was Lewis who said, God cannot give you happiness outside of himself because it doesn't exist. The thing that you're running after, Christian, non-Christian, it will never give you what you're looking for. There is only one who is worthy. There is only one who is altogether lovely. There is only one who will ever satisfy the deepest longing of your heart and soul, the deepest grief that you've experienced, the deepest trouble and water that you've gone through. There is only one. It is not an idol. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And Christian, why in the world would we change anything for that? He is altogether lovely. And so as we leave this place this morning, understand There's power in really knowing something. Know that the patterns have been broken. Know that we ought to pity those in bondage. And know that the power of the truth that we have 
Deliver us from blindness. Oh, and by the way, keep yourself from idols. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for your truth. Oh, God, um, as we finish this book from the disciple of love, help us to know. If there's someone here this morning that does not know you, I pray that today would be the day that at least we start asking questions. At least we join the conversation. At least we're open to the idea that there's one who died, was buried, and rose again. Because if that happened, it changes everything. Lord, I'm thankful that it did. Thank you for Jesus this morning. And for your people, Lord, may this message and this truth in John as he closes the book strengthen us, empower us, help us to take it and to absorb it and to believe it and to live it in such a way that does impact what I do today and tomorrow and the days ahead. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.